The Down in a Heap podcast from Rob C. is one of the only podcasts that I can stand to listen to. I'm Froth from the Thought Eater podcast, and I approve this message. In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful Northeast Minneapolis. Today it's time to continue the Dragon Talk series with a deep dive into the AD&D Monster Manual. That might be the, I don't know, the biggest influence on my thought processes about dragons. Even though BX was my first game, uh, I probably played more AD&D 1st and 2nd edition than I did BX. I only got back into BX really the last three years or so. Um, and you heard there from Froth at the top of the show, I figured I'd better play his endorsement one last time before he yanks it after hearing the last <laughs> crazy episode. But uh, let's go on to some dragon talk. The fun never stops, does it? I don't know about the chronology for the rest of you old geezers like me who uh, grew up with well, maybe OD&D, or uh, a basic edition, or AD&D, but as I outlined, I got BX for a Christmas present, I think when I was 12, and then the following spring, on my 13th birthday, the first AD&D book I got was the Monster Manual, and then I think I used some birthday money and went out and bought the Player's Handbook. I don't remember when I got the DM's Guide, probably that summer sometime. Oop. I've got my own personal dragon, the orange dragon, Herman, who seems to be intent on jumping up here and uh, intruding his, uh, <laughs> giving his thoughts on dragons, I guess. But here we go. Dragons, as outlined in the AD&D Monster Manual, uh, pages 29 through 34, but don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Dragons come in, in many colors, sizes, shapes, and alignments. Two sorts of dragons, the chromatic dragon and the platinum dragon, are singular individuals, and there are no others of their type. Each dragon sort will be treated individually hereafter. General information and common characteristics will be given here. The ten species of dragons have three general size types, small, average, and huge, according to the size typical of each. This categorization is determined by die roll. An eight-sided die is rolled... 1 to 2 equals small, 3 to 7 average, and 8 huge. This size determination indicates the number of hit dice a dragon has. Now that to me is kind of, I don't know, a little bit odd, because I'd think the age of the dragon would have more impact on the actual size of the dragon than just rolling this... <laughs> This randomized, small, average, or huge. But they do give dragon sizes under each species, but that presumably is for, like, an adult dragon. But maybe it specifies later. All right. Dragons pass through eight ages in their lives. These growth stages are very young, one to five years, young, six to 15 years, sub-adult, 16 to 25 years, young adult, 26 to 50 years, adult, 51 to 100, old, 101 to 200, very old, 201 to 400, and ancient, 401 plus years. And as uh, I mentioned, uh, and you probably all know, hit points are determined by their age progress or progression, and um, with one hit point for very young, all the way up to eight hit points per die for ancient. So it's across the board. So if a dragon has 10 hit dice and they're old, the age 6 category, they get 6 hit points per die or would have 60 hit points. Clear enough, right? Uh, to determine the age and thus the number of hit points per die a dragon has, simply roll an 8-sided die, the number rolled indicating the age as shown above. Well, that is simple, but it's kind of strange to me that 
there's an equal probability of each of these coming up, it seems much more likely to me that you'd be less likely to encounter very young dragons who presumably would still be in the lair with their one of their parents or both of their parents or something. And also much more unlikely to encounter something, you know, that's taken 400 plus years to, to grow than you would something that's just like 25 years old or something. So I don't know. I'd probably be much, much more likely to employ some kind of two-die mechanism, or maybe even three, to generate more of a bell curve. All dragons see equally well in daylight or darkness, infravision 60 feet. They have excellent sight, smell, and hearing. Because of these keen senses, all dragons are able to detect hidden or invisible creatures within one inch, so 10 feet or 10 yards outdoors, per age level. Dragons also develop the power to... Oh, wait a minute. Before we go there, so if they have these keen senses and can, to the point where they can even detect invisible creatures, it seems like they should maybe have a reduced chance of being surprised, but that doesn't come up at all. Um... Dragons also develop the power to panic enemies as they mature. At adult age and older, they radiate a powerful aura, which causes a fear reaction when a dragon flies overhead or charges as follows. 1. All creatures under one hit dice, as well as non-carnivorous creatures of any sort which are not trained for warfare or basically not fearless or aggressive, will flee in panic. Such route will be made at fastest speed possible, and it will continue for 4 to 24 turns. Wow, so 40 minutes to like 4 hours of just running in fear. Creatures with fewer than 3 hit dice must save versus magic, or be paralyzed with fear 50% of the time, or panic as above 50% of the time. Creatures with 3 or more hit dice will fight at a penalty of minus 1 on their hit dice, unless they also save versus magic. Creatures with six or more hit dice automatically disregard the aura effect. And the aura of old, or I'm sorry, adult, old, and very old dragons is not as powerful as that of ancient dragons, so saving throws applicable to their auras are at plus five, plus three, and plus one respectively. Thus, a second level fighter, normally having to score 16, 75% or better to save Against magic, the dragon's aura in this case, would gain a bonus of 5 on his saving throw versus an adult dragon's aura, so any score of 11 or more would save him from panic. That's that's a pretty powerful ability. Um, I mean, I suppose when you're getting plus 5 and stuff, it, it does, as it breaks down here, kind of translates to 50% of creatures of uh, less than 3 hit dice are just going to flee, um, but still that, talk about a, uh, an army shattering power just flying overhead, um, is, uh, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Uh, a considerable percentage of dragons have the ability to speak one or more human languages in addition to the language of their species, so that's interesting, and in AD&D there's a separate language for each specific species of dragons. Um, so, <laughs> so a human sage is probably, even a sage, like someone, a genius, isn't going to be able to speak all the dragon tongues. Um, similarly, a fair number of dragons which can speak are able to employ magical spells. The chances for either of these abilities occurring in any given individual are shown under this specific treatment by species. The chance that any given dragon will be asleep will likewise be given. Uh, now note in basic, I believe, if a dragon could speak, they could automatically cast spells. That is not the case here. In fact, it doesn't even seem to imply that you have to speak in order to cast the spell to use magic, so that's interesting. And the chances given under each each species um, 
the chance to use magic, especially for the chromatic dragons, is often like a third or half the chance to use magic, whereas the good dragons all appear to have nearly the same chance of speaking and magic use, and it's typically... Uh, well, I guess speaking is about the same for each category of dragon. Like, I mean, there's within the dragon species, uh, there's almost the same hierarchy of dragons of evil versus good, with the evil dragons generally being a little less powerful than the the good ones. But uh, anyway, sleeping dragon. A sleeping dragon is only found in its lair and will always awaken upon hearing loud noise such as talking, shouting, forcing a door, etc. If it is within 30 to 120 feet, depending on baffling factors, walls, doors, etc., and the volume of sound, it will awaken if attacked, of course, obviously. It will also awaken on a roll of six on a six-sided die. Um, So I suppose that's just like tough luck kind of thing, even if like you're using, say, a silent spell, or you have a thief sneaking up there and making it successful, there's still a chance that the dragon will just (laughs) awaken at the most inconvenient time. If a sleeping dragon is attacked, its opponents get a bonus of plus three to strike it, but as soon as the dragon is awake, the bonus is lost. Attacking a dragon. Dragons may be attacked two ways, to kill or subdue. The attack form must be announced prior to combat, or it will automatically take the killing form. Once selected, attack form cannot be changed with respect to any given dragon. That's really kind of weird to me, that you can't start out subduing, and then you're getting your butt kicked. You can't (laughs) change to, no, no, let's just try and kill it. Uh, Certain weapons will be more or less effective than others against the various types of dragons. This is indicated on the following chart. Of course, there's a chart. The number indicating the addition or subtraction for the probability of hitting as well as the amount of damage done. And this, the reason I kind of laugh at this chart is because it's no more than minus one or plus one. But it differentiates the dragon's breath on one axis, so cold, acid, gas, electricity, fire, multiple types, versus an attack by an elemental variety on the other axis air, earth, fire, water, or electricity. And as you might imagine, like if you use the same breath weapon as the attack made against them, it's minus one. And if it's something that seems naturally opposed, for instance, fire versus cold, it's plus one. But um, really, you needed a chart just to give you a plus one or a minus one. I like the way they do it in BX more, where like a small version of the dragon's breath weapon doesn't do anything to them. So, for instance, burning oil, they've specified, doesn't have any effect on a red dragon. And further, they automatically make their saving throw against, like, fire-based magical attacks, like a fireball or something, so they automatically take half damage. To me, that's much more meaningful than than this rinky-dink chart. All right. Dragons attack by claw, bite, or breath weapon. The latter can be used but three times per day maximum. So that's the same as BX, probably the same as OD&D, which I'm sure most of this is lifted from. If a choice is possible, roll percentile dice. Any score above 50 indicates the dragon will breathe. The breath weapon causes damage equal to the dragon's hit points, half that amount if a saving throw is made, on each and every creature hit by the breath weapon. Cone-shaped breath weapons are half-inch, so five feet, diameter at the point of origin. So here, now in in BX, it specified that it was the damage done by the breath weapon was equal to the dragon's current hit points. So if they had taken damage, uh, it would reduce the damage of the breath weapon. Here, it doesn't really specify. So how you rule on this as a DM will definitely impact how dangerous monsters are or the dragon is. And my dragon has just gotten a little bit more unruly here, so I'm going to try and 
remove him from <laughs> live podcasting. All right. Subduing a dragon. An attack on a dragon to subdue and thus ca- capture it may be opted for if such, such a tent is announced in advance of combat. Silver, gold, chromatic, and platinum gra- dragons cannot be subdued. Note that it is impossible for creatures with less than average intelligence to attack to subdue. Subduel is accomplished as follows. So, hmm. So if you've got, like, a druid with um, a bear uh, as his companion with an animal friendship spell or something, the bear couldn't be aiding and attacking a dragon to subdue it. Um... Upon announcement of intent to strike to subdue, all hit points of damage scored by attacks upon the dragon are considered non-fatal, battering, bruising damage. The total number of hit points scored each melee round is stated as a ratio. Hit points scored are ratioed over the number of hit points the dragon has, and this ratio is converted to a percentage chance. This percentage chance is the chance that the dragon will be subdued by the hit points of subduing damage it has received at the end of any given melee round. This percentage could be 0, 1, 35, 99, or whatever. Percental dice are then rolled, and if the number they show is equal to or less than the percentage ratio, of the dragon is subdued. It is always subdued when the ratio of subduing damage to hit points equals or exceeds 1 to 1, 100% or greater. This is as Ray, when he called in to the last episode, um, talking about subduing dragons, is just like he outlined in OD&D, which seems really kooky to me that a lucky strike of, like, one hit point of damage or five hit points of damage or whatever could conceivably subdue <laughs> the dragon uh, just because you roll really lucky on the percentile dice. That just seems insane to me but that's what the rules state um it also doesn't at least not yet doesn't indicate as bx did that you could only use melee attacks uh physical attacks to subdue so you couldn't wing in a lightning bolt to subdue or shower it with arrows to subdue it which makes sense to me if you're just if you are striking this quote-unquote non-fatal battering bruising damage to me it would be you just have to use a melee weapon not not arrows not um not spells so not poison for instance um but here they give uh oh last note a maximum of one human-sized attacker per three (laughs) this is so ad&d per three linear feet of exposed dragon excluding tail is possible Thus, the dragon with a 15-foot-long body, fully exposed, would offer opportunity for a maximum of 11 humans to attack. Five per flank, plus one at its head. Here, an example of subduing a dragon. Two 8th-level fighters, a 7th-level dwarven fighter, an elven 4th-level fighter, 6th-level magic user, and a halfling thief of 9th-level stumble upon a huge red dragon, peaceful asleep on a veritable mountain of treasure. After a hurried, whispered debate, the party opts to strike to subdue, as that will A, give them a dragon to use or sell, B, save treasure from destruction by avoiding the fireworks of a general melee, and C, the subdued dragon will have to point out and help carry out the the choicest treasure items. That's great. They're going to use the dragon as their beast of burden. Uh, the smaller, quiet party members circle the dragon. None, st- none stand at the beast's head. Good idea. They <laughs> don't want to be near the old uh, fire, fire end. Uh, with a shout, the party strikes with a general bonus of plus three to hit. They all succeed, and the halfling thief gains quadruple damage bonus of striking from behind. Really? <laughs> gets, gets a backstab on the subdual. Okay. They score a total of 44 hit points of subduing damage. The first melee round is over. As the dragon is ancient, it has 8 hit points per die, and it is huge. 
so it has 11 hit dice for a total of 88 hit points. The referee rolls percentile dice. Any roll of 1 to 50 indicates subduel. A 61 is rolled. Combat goes to round 2. As the dragon is just awakened, the party again strikes first. Four of them hit, and another 23 points subduing damage is scored. The dragon chooses to breathe. Dice score 99%. So he turns his head and fires right where the elf, dwarf, and halfling are attacking. Saving throws indicate that each takes 44, 88, and 44 hit points damage, respectively. All three char and die. (laughs) The round is over, and the referee ratios 67 over 88, 76% chance uh, for subduel, but a 92 is rolled. The dragon fights on. Initiative dice are rolled. The dragon wins. Decides to bite and scores a hit doing 23 points of damage to the second eighth level fighter. The two fighters strike, one hits, and the dragon takes another 10 hit points of subduel. The third round is over, and the chance for the dragon being subdued is 77 to 88, or 7 eighths, or 87.5%. Treat as 88%. The dra- referee rolls an 89. The fighters win initiative strikes and score 12 hit points. The dragon is subdued automatically before it can attack. The garnering of loot now begins. <laughs> no note of mourning <laughs> the fallen. Right to the loot. <laughs> so this indicates that uh, the dragon's uh, breath weapon continues to do the same amount of damage as its actual hit points. But this is striking to subdue. So it uh, doesn't really clarify that point of whether or not you use the... For Dragon Breath, if you use the its base hit points for the damage done all the time, or if you use its current um, in-the-moment hit point total to determine the damage. I tend to lean the latter, or I mean the, the former. You, it does its hit point damage all the time, not, not whittled away, because that makes dragons much more fearsome. All right, now we get to some of the weirdness here. The value of a subdued dragon. Larger towns and cities will usually have a market for dragons. Really? <laughs> if a dragon is sold, it usually goes out to the uh, out of the game, although the referee may wish to assign it to some of his special non-playing characters whom he runs for encounter in the town city. The selling price of a subdued dragon ranges from 100 to 800 gold pieces per hit point. This price is subject to adjustment by the referee, of course. Uh, offers are typically determined by rolling an eight-sided, eight-sided die. No, so one to, or 100 to 800 gold pieces per hit point. Subdued dragons can be ridden. Yes. Now, this is really weird to me that there'd just be like a, a market for these dragons. And that the subdued dragon would just allow itself to be sold and and presumably just like, okay, uh, yeah. Um, Josephine, the, the perfumer, the rich merchant, buys me and now I guard her shop or something or, <laughs> or give her rides around the, the barony. It's kind of strange, but yeah, that's, that's the kind of interesting part, thing to all these games are the implied setting and you if you follow through with that what implications does that have for the setting and how do you explain it i think that's where we often have these like gaps of contention or understanding about things like a topic that's been going around the anchor sphere the human versus non-human point of view and level limits and all that well it depends on your starting point. Do you start from just what makes sense to us, or do you start from the game rules and then try and make sense of it by explaining why the game rules are in effect? All right, the length of subduel. A dragon remains subdued for an indefinite period, but if the creature is not strongly held, well-treated, Given ample treasure and allowed ample freedom, it will seek to kill its captor and or escape. The older and more powerful the dragon, the less the likelihood of it remaining subdued. Likewise, an intelligent spell-using dragon is not likely to remain subdued. In fact, 
The latter sort of dragon is likely to attempt to take over its captor and rule his holdings. <laughs> Evil dragons will never serve a good master for long, and good dragons are 50% more likely to kill escape from a neutral captor as opposed to one whose alignment is the same as their own. Well, that's interesting. What, like, so doesn't seem right, I guess, if the players, like a bunch of goody two-shoes, go out and subdue a good dragon to, I don't know, you think maybe they could just negotiate and come to accord or something, but hmm. Um, players may always opt to sell or give a dragon to any other player or keeper the monster, or keep the monster in their own service. Note that dragons cannot be resubdued unless they actually regain their freedom. So it doesn't actually give a chance, like, a mechanic for determining the length of subduel. It's all just DM fiat with th these guidelines, basically. Encountering multiple dragons. If two or more dragons are encountered outside their lair, it will be a mated pair. If two are, uh, if two are encountered and sub-adults if three or more are encountered. If two or more dragons are encountered in their lair, it will be a mated pair with their young, if applicable. Mated pairs are always fifth through eighth age categories. Any young in lair are eggs, 10%, or very young, 90%. If young dragons are attacked, both adults will automatically breathe and then melee to bite, gaining a ferocity bonus of plus two to hit, and plus one slash plus three in clawing, biting damage. If either of the mated pairs attack, the other dragon will rush to its defense, gaining the ferocity bonus stated above, unless it is attacked simultaneously. Hmm. Well, that's kind of interesting, but again, the, the bonuses, yeah, whatever, it's, it's cool. Treasure. Very young dragons will usually have no treasure, but there is a 10% chance that they will have one quarter of the possible listed treasure. I suppose that would be like some very young dragon that whose parents were killed and just the adventurers couldn't carry off all the treasure or something? I don't know. Um, young dragons have a 25% chance for one quarter of the possible listed treasure. Sub-adults have a 50% chance for one half the possible listed treasure. Young adults and old have normal treasure. Very old and ancient are 50 and 75% likely to have 150 and 200% respectively of the listed treasure. So, yeah, dragon hordes are huge. I'm sure someone has probably done the math on what the various treasure types are worth. Um, but I don't have that information at my fingertips. The innate coward here weaknesses of dragons. We're getting close to the end. The innate cowardice of dragons is shown by the fact that most can be subdued. Dragons' egoistic nature makes them subject to flattery, and it also makes the more stupid of them prone to attack other powerful creatures whom they view as disputing their dominating position. Greed and avarice are major motivating factors in all but the loftiest of dragons. 40% of silver, 80% of gold, and the Platinum Dragon. So they are subject to manipulation by very clever persons, or the prospect of actual treasure and the promise of more forthcoming. Dragon Saving Throws. When a dragon attains five or more hit points per die, its saving throw is calculated by dividing its hit points by four, thus giving a higher number of hit dice than it actually has. This reflects the magic resistance and general toughness of this creature. Conversely, even a very young dragon gains the benefit of the actual number of its hit dice. Even though the hit dice die are but one each for determining scores required, this reflects the same general nature of dragon kind, i.e. magic resistance and toughness. Alright, then it goes on to describe each of these individual dragon species, which are given a Latin tag as well as just the common uh, delineation, black dragon, brass dragon, etc. Um, I'm sure most people are familiar with them and with their br corresponding breath weapons. It's an interesting to note the, that in the AD&D Monster Manual, a few things are added, like frequency, so how often they appear. Um, and 
a glance through this um, reveals that dragons, uh, as you know, rules is written, aren't that rare. Uh, they, the following are listed as uncommon, which in the Monster Manual under Frequency, um, an uncommon monster means that indicates a 20% chance of um, encounter, you know, like an encounter will be with an uncommon monster. Uh, a rare is 11%, and very rare is 4%, common being 65%. So uncommon are black, brass, and white. Rare are blue, bronze, green, and red. And copper uh, straddles that. It lists them as uncommon slash rare. Uh, very rare are gold and silver, and then, of course, the unique... Uh, the chromatic and the platinum dragon. Um, intelligence ranges from average, parentheses, low for a, a white dragon. Um, and I think the average band is like 8 to 10. Um, black dragons are average. Green are average to very, very being 11 to 12. Um, and then, like, high intelligence, I think, are blue. No, blue are just very high or brat. All the, all the uh, uh, metallic, the good dragons, are tend to be more intelligent than the chromatic dragons, too. And, of course, within each species, too, it des uh, describes um, the how they're... Uh, spell progression, if they are a spell user, um, is affected with them getting more spells as they age. Like basic, it has the same problems where uh, their their damage from their their physical attacks, their claws, and their bite have their their first of all their age has no bearing on it. So a hatchling has the same damage done as an ancient. Also, the quote-unquote size, the, whether they're small, average, or huge, has no bearing on the damage done. It just has a changes the hit dice from you know, by by one in either direction. Uh, their armor class doesn't change as they age. Uh, their chances of speaking or magic use don't go up anymore as they age. So all these things to me are problematic. Um, they and again they don't get any better chances to hit uh, because their hit dice are the same when they're hatched to when they're ancient. It, yeah, it makes no sense to me. I, it makes a lot of sense as far as like the hit dice giving them better saving throws. I get that. Um, but yeah, I changed that stuff. Uh, anything else of note? Not really. But there is something that was released later on that's almost like AD&D Dragons 1.5. And that was the first Forgotten Realms box set. So let's take a look at what Ed Greenwood did to change dragons in AD&D. Listening back to this, I omitted a couple of things which I probably should have gone into. As uh, Joe from the Hindsightless podcast has alluded to in the AD&D Monster Manual, they do talk about some of the good dragons being able to polymorph themselves. The bronze dragon says they often assume the form of some animal in order to observe the affairs of humans. Uh, gold dragons are able to assume the form of animals or the guise of humanity, for they can polymorph themselves without harm. It is in some other form that they are typically encountered. And silver dragons, um, much as a gold dragon, these creatures are able to polymorph themselves in order to appear as an animal or human, typically a kindly old man or fair damsel, if the latter. Uh, so, yeah, they can... The, the higher order good dragons can polymorph themselves. Also kind of interesting is um, gold dragons, it says, although they love precious metals and gems and use jewels and pearls as nourishment. That's kind of an interesting side note. And regarding the art of the dragons, some are, I think, 
like the mon- in the Monster Manual in general. I like it, but uh, some of the art is definitely better than others. <clears throat> I think it's kind of hilarious. The brass dragon I've always thought of as looking like he's completely baked. It's got this kind of <laughs> blase, laissez-faire kind of <laughs> expression. The wings on the brass and the copper dragon I think looks really stupid. Um, I like, in particular, I think the art for the white and the blue dragons are the ones I like the most out of here. The green dragon looks a little bit uh, chunky, a little rotund. <laughs> so I, I have an affinity for the green dragon because of that. It's a little fat guy. Uh, the gold dragon is probably my least favorite. It uh, doesn't have any wings and appears much more as kind of a serpentine creature with a big alligator head. Um, yeah, not a fan. I, I think a lot of... Uh, I'm, I'm so unfamiliar with uh, Chinese and Japanese uh, folklore and mythology. What I know is basically what I gleaned from deities and demigods, which is, you know in all likelihood, not a real good source material, but but I've always thought as um, dragons of uh, a Chinese or Japanese uh, origin are more of these kind of like serpentine creatures, which just isn't how I kind of imagine it, because I imagine Smog and uh, the dragon from Dragon Slayer and stuff is kind of my baseline. But anyway, varied art, and I'll also note that I never did use... The second edition monster stats, I always just kept using monsters from the old Monster Manual and Fiend Folio and Monster Manual 2. So even though I played second ed AD&D, I didn't use the second ed monsters. Alright, now on to the Forgotten Realms dragons. And I'll note too, I actually kind of like the first Forgotten Realms box set. Not a huge fan in general of the realms, but that first box set I think is good. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there, and it's only the later stuff that I think, like everything, just kind of slipped away and went off the rails. So the first Forgotten Realms box set, the one with the like gray cover or the gray books and the the gray box. Uh, came out in 1987. That was by Ed Greenwood, and I think, yeah, Jeff Grubb also got design and development credit. Um, so it looks like it was just those two guys. And there had been a lot of Dragon articles in the Dragon Magazine and probably Strategic Review, too, and many of those focused on the fact that dragons often seemed like they were given short shrift, or that was the kind of thought processes when characters got really pretty pretty high level, and maybe even mid-level um, if they got the jump on the sleeping dragon it would have it would be a pretty easy time of it um, with you know backstabbing and lobbing in a lightning bolt or fireball and characters prepping with resist fire resist cold protection from electricity and all their protective magics and stuff so if they have time to prepare yeah the characters can probably make pretty short a party of high level or mid-level characters can probably make short work of many of these dragons and um so there were a lot of articles written about giving dragons a lot of extra attacks for wing buffets and tail lashes and foot stomps and all this to make them kind of a whirlwind of destruction and I don't know when those articles I, I could dig through them I know they were there was one in particular in the best of dragon number three and I can't remember the author maybe it was Ed Greenwood Ed wrote a lot of articles for dragon magazine even before I think uh, Forgotten Realms came out that's probably how he came to the TSR's attention but anyway in the uh, DM source book of the realms he, he and Jeff Grubb have this a word about dragons. The dragons of the Forgotten Realms are among the most dangerous, devious, and powerful creatures of the realms. 
The great majority of them live in far-removed wastes to the north, but on occasion have swept down in record numbers to plague mankind. The dragons of the realms have the listed stats and abilities of those listed in the monster manual, with the following additional information. Number of attacks per round. The dragons of the realms have a feline quickness that belies their reptilian origin. They make up to twice the number uh, the normal biting and clawing attacks in a single round and divide those attacks against figures within the same 15-foot area. They will do so only if they are pressed or attacked by numbers greater than three times their hit dice. So that this really makes dragons much more fearsome in melee combat. Damage of breath weapons. The dragons of the Forgotten Realms may use their breath weapon as many times as they see fit within a 24-hour period, but may only inflict up to three times their hit points and damage maximum during that period. Commonly, in combat, a dragon will breathe thrice with each attack inflicting the amount of damage equal to the dragon's initial hit points. See Dragon and Monster Manual. So, this seems to be at least putting a period on the debate, uh, at least in their minds, over whether or not breath weapon damage is equal to the dragon's initial hit points or their current hit points. They're definitely going with the initial hit points. If pressed, however, dragon may release everything in one shot or may breathe more than three times at reduced effect at scattered targets. Divide total damage uh, per attack by three. So, um, this definitely gives them more versatility, um, which, yeah, I kind of like this approach. The ages of dragon kind. The eight listed ages of dragons provided in the monster manual apply to those dragons that may be encountered randomly in the realms. Dragons grow all their life, and there are two ranks beyond for special individuals. Venerable dragons have nine hit points per die, and great worms have ten hit points per die. Uh, they don't give what age they reach these advanced stages at, but you know it's interesting that they have a couple more categories higher to make, uh, as opposed to keep them more as a threat to high-level characters. The huge monster that attacked Hillside was destroyed by the city's mages was a great red worm, and there are said to be others of his breed about. Such creatures will never be encountered as random monsters unless the entire area is under the attack of a flight of dragons, which last occurred in the year of the worm. Subduel. Here's some interesting stuff. The fact that a dragon can be potentially subdued while taking less damage than needed to slay it causes dragons to be underrated as monsters. Dragons in the Forgotten Realms can be subdued, but only under particular circumstances. The dragon in question must be, quote-unquote, challenged, clearly and openly, either in its native tongue or, if it speaks, in common. It must accept that challenge for subdual combat to take place. This means that a sleeping or surprised dragon cannot be subdued by a single fighter rushing in with a lucky shot. I like these changes. <laughs> Whether a dragon accepts such a challenge or not is based on the intelligence of the dragon and whether it has more hit dice than the individuals attacking it. <laughs> so I guess dragons are really perceptive that they can judge the, uh, their potential foes in that regard. If the dragon can count on allies, other dragons, human servants, etc., coming to its aid, count their hit dice as well to determine whether the offerer is accepted. And they have this... Uh, little chart here with the intelligence of the dragons on one axis, average, very highly acceptable, genius, super genius, and the dragon's hit dice is either greater or equal or lesser, with them having a, a higher percentage chance of accepting the subdual challenge if they are more powerful, and it going down in chances as the dragon becomes more and more intelligent. So, like, exceptional, <laughs> exceptionally intelligent dragons are very unlikely to accept subdual challenges, especially from foes they view as more powerful than them. Individual dragons such as Tiamat and Bahamut will never accept subdual challenges. Second, once a challenge is accepted, certain rules apply. 
Attacks that inflict real damage, such as spells like Fireball, are not permitted, and their use will negate the challenge and enrage the dragon involved. Weapons inflict one quarter real damage when used to subdue. The dragon may, of course, use his breath weapon, but will do so only if a seven or better is rolled with two six-sided dice. Well, that's still just like 50%, isn't it? I don't know. Thirdly, there is a chance that once the dragon is officially subdued, as listed in Monster Manual 1, it will renege on its offer, either escaping or, if the attackers are sufficiently banged up, attacking in earnest. The chances of this depend on the dragon's alignment. Lawful dragons are 90% likely to honor the terms of the subdual challenge. Neutral dragons are... No, are there neutral dragons yet? Maybe there there were the gem dragons by then, or oriental dragons. I guess we need to do uh, another part of the series on those guys. Uh, Neutral dragons are 70% likely to honor the terms of the subdual challenge, and if they do so, will seek to escape as opposed to turn on their attackers. Chaotic dragons are only 50% likely to honor the terms of their contract. Black, brass, white, red, and copper dragons are all chaotic in nature. If a dragon is subdued and honors that subdual, the adventurers may loot the dragon's lair and wrest from the creature a promise to leave the area and not return. The characters may also try to take the dragon in for sale, as listed in the Monster Manual. Such sales can only be held at cities, where a sufficient number of buyers are interested in that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing, that craziness. Um... Such sales are never held in cities, Herman. Come on. <laughs> Crazy cat. Um, all right, I'm going to have to stop here and take care of him. All right, back again. All right, such sales can only be held, be held at cities where a sufficient number of buyers are interested in that sort of thing. Such sales are never held in cities, as the town fathers take a dim view of such creatures within the city walls. Check the damage done by the most recent Dragonflight under Dragons in the Cyclopedia. Now, would city walls really have much effect on a dragon that's able to fly? That seems kind of strange, but I suppose just running amok in a, <laughs> in a city could be bad news for property values. Such would-be salesmen should be warned that among the buyers would include those looking for a guardian beast, alchemists looking for a trove of components. <laughs> the dragon just willingly rolls over and gets carved up. Um, maybe they just draw blood from them or something. Here, give me, give me some spittle there, smog. Um, and members of such organizations as the Cult of the Dragon which would enlist the creature into their cause and set it free again to wreak havoc on the area in general, and the adventurers in particular. Dragons found in lair um, may, fall, may be found asleep, but those of higher than average intelligence will likely uh, set up some sort of trap or tripwire to alert them to prowlers in their domains. Finally, when dealing with dragons, keep in mind the following items. Adult and older dragons can radiate dragon fear, which may cause low-level adventures and creatures to panic. They may do so once per encounter with the same individuals. Saving throw hit dice for dragons of five or more hit points per die are determined by dividing their hit points by four. An ancient huge red dragon saves as a 22nd level creature, not an 11th. Dragons with spellcasting abilities will use them and do so in a fashion to most confound and harm any interlopers. So I think they're basically just saying, yeah, keep all the powers of the dragon in ready uh, reach as a DM. Don't downplay their powers. The word dragons strikes fear into the heart of many in the realms, even those tried and true adventurers who have crossblades with them. Using the above guidelines and not using the creatures as just another encounter should make them among the most deadly creatures of the Forgotten Realms. So, we're definitely seeing that that this trend... I mean, there's power creep throughout the editions and I think, almost everything. But dragons really get ramped up um, 
and ramped up in size too. I, I don't know how the rest of you feel, but when I see art portraying dragons, it's just like pulling up like whole round towers from a keep or, or a town or something. I just, that starts getting kind of like comically ridiculous to me. Um, when they're flying, like, um, <laughs> what are those dinosaurs, the, are they sauropods? Like the brontosaurus and stuff. Anyway, when they're, when they're just like so huge that it seems impossible for them to even be able to fly, I start losing a little bit of, that. it just be, I start slipping away just like the same thing when I feel like the characters go escape the bounds of reality to become superheroes who can even without magic kind of defy the laws of physics um it or the what you'd think of as some kind of believability that's when the game starts breaking for me so yeah, I, I definitely think there should be the chance for very powerful dragons, and they sh should be among the most powerful creatures uh, that adventurers could encounter or that they could, you know, wreak massive destruction if they so choose. But those monstrous dragons, I think, should be noteworthy, legendary, and if not known at least known where they might be found. Oh yeah, you don't want to go to the Grey Mountain because that's the home of this beast. Um, or you go anywhere near it. Whereas I think the really the younger dragons that are just trying to build up their hordes and stuff should be the ones that characters encounter much more often. And, um, and those, while challenging for uh, low and mid-level parties shouldn't be just like encounter enders um but we've got more to talk about with dragons i'll in the next installments yeah as, uh, as i alluded to we got to take a look at the oriental dragons that came up in fiend folio and how dragons are treated in swords and wizardry but um what you might be waiting for is i'll i'll put together some kind of PDF documents that I can share with people too on how I'm planning on changing all these mechanics and stuff to make them more in line with how I feel dragons should really be treated and not just these delineated species that cagey, knowledgeable players can prepare and deal with um, much more easily, but they might have a little bit more surprise in store. Not just, yep, it's a red dragon, let's get out the resist fire potions, buy some scrolls with resist fire on it, etc. Alright, enough blathering, I'll get to messages too, I've got quite a few on a variety of topics from a variety of listeners, so we'll get to those too in upcoming episodes, but until then, thanks for listening, don't go down in a heap. 